0: This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Jaundice by Lucy's Fur Coat. It sounds like a dirty bar, you know what I mean? Like a place where guys hang out.
1: (laughs) I think we like the complete opposite ends of this album. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minnichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, this is, uh, this is kind of a important episode for us uh, because it's my first post-baby episode. I thought that my entire outlook on everything would change. You know, people say your world is completely rocked, so I thought maybe I would completely change and I'd only want to listen to, you know, Spongebob songs and... <laughs> What's, that, what's that one, the Gabba Gabba, the Yo Gabba Gabba? Yeah. I was going to listen only Yo Gabba Gabba. But I, surprisingly, I'm still interested in in 90s music.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think the people that say that are the people looking for an excuse to have their report rocked.
1: Now, not uh, I, I. this happened completely by coincidence, uh-huh. but the album that we're reviewing is by a band called Lucy's Fur Coat. It was a suggestion by by, by Kyle Sunby. And the name of the album is Jaundice, which, surprisingly enough, which a lot of babies are, uh, our daughter Nina was jaundice, which basically Whoa. has to do with uh, some sort of levels of something in the blood that make the... If, a jaundice baby usually has like a little bit of a yellow tint to their skin and they have to put them under a, a light in the hospital to um, give them more vitamin D. It's essentially, and they have to feed more. So, yeah, it was a total coincidence that the... Did you wrap her in her fur
0: coat? And and is her name Lucy?
1: No, but I have a a niece named Lucy.
0: You're not dedicated to this show.
1: I know. I should have named her Lucy, middle name fur coat, and then it would have worked out perfectly. But sadly, uh, it did not.
0: Typical Bills fan. (laughs) Can't close it.
1: Can't close it. Can't close. Hey, before we get into our history of the band and whatnot, uh, I want to say thank you to... This is going to sound like I'm in um, a sci-fi movie in the 70s, but I want to say thank you to N896 on iTunes because they left us a positive rating of four out of five stars and they gave us a little positive uh, note that says, I really like this podcast. Here are some bands I think you guys should do. American Football, Captain Jazz, Sunny Day Real Estate Saves the Day. Wow. So we want to say thank you to N896, uh, which hopefully was not a bot, an emo bot.
0: Was it the Mars Rover?
1: Yeah, it was the Mars Rover <laughs> that suggested those bands. Uh, we'll definitely be getting, I can tell you that one of those bands, we will uh-huh. be reviewing soon. I'm not going to tell you which one, but of those four bands that were mentioned
0: cool we'll be getting I wonder what, what do we have to do to get five out of five you think oh,
1: that's a good question i mean i feel like we're doing a five out of five show i don't know what we See, got most people are like it. four out of
0: five. Ooh, that's good i'm thinking well what, why are we not five out of five There's perhaps he had listened to
1: one of our early episodes where the the quality of our recording was not as high as it is now mm. and our, our banter was not as polished
0: <laughs> is that what this is
1: Yes, yeah, this is called oh. polished and witty banter.
0: Oh boy, are our listeners lucky?
1: Yeah, they are. They're getting, they're getting some quality stuff here. So let's get into the um, the album that we are going to take a listen to. As I mentioned, it was a suggestion. The name of the band is Lucy's Fur Coat, and this is the history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: Lucy's Fur Coat was formed. In San Diego, California, in 1992, by Mike Santos on guitar and vocals, Tony San Filippio on guitar, Rob Brown on bass, and Scott Bauer on drums. Now, Mike Santos was the original singer, but then they added an actual vocalist um, named Charlie Ware.
0: An actual vocalist?
1: Well, I guess Mike wasn't really intended to be the lead singer, but he was doing. He was taking over the. He was handling the vocal duties until they found a front man. They were going with the five-person uh, format, you know, as employed by Pearl Jam at the time, mm. where you have a front man and then two guitarists, as opposed to the singing guitar player.
0: The more uh, format.
1: The Nirvana format. So they signed to Relativity Records, and their first album, as we mentioned, Jaundice was released in 1994. The uh, Shortly after, Scott Bauer, the drummer, left the band and he was replaced by Scott Clark, which is really, if you think about it, that's convenient because then you can just keep calling the drummer Scott. You don't have to change your uh, what you're calling him.
0: That is. That's the first criteria for replacing a band member. Is that they but have the they, same first name. Yeah, Just yeah. to make things simple.
1: Exactly. The band was unhappy with their contract with Relativity, so they broke up to basically get out of the contract and then reformed and signed to SRH Records. I don't know how that's possible because I think if you reform and you're using the same name, you'd still be under contract. But, as we know, many bands were signed to many bad contracts or crazy (laughs) contracts in the 90s. Uh, Their second album, How to Survive an Air Crash, was released in 1998 on SRH. Mike Santos left the band and they continued as a four piece for another two years and then broke up the band members have played in a variety of bands since then including such bands as pump house the scramblers the coolest band in america midnight rivals and bayside bridge club perhaps people in the san diego area are familiar with some of those bands i know that uh pdx from rocket from the crypt is involved in at least one of those bands i think it's pump house So, that is the history of Lucy's Fur Coat, which was brought to you by us. But if you'd like to sponsor the history of the band, visit digmeoutpodcast.com and support the podcast, by a t-shirt, or make a donation. Jade, I gotta ask, had you heard of Lucy's Fur Coat before we uh, got this suggestion?
0: Well, what's funny is I think I've had this album for quite a while and just never listened to it. <laughs> wow. Uh, it may have, may have come up on random, but I never really, never caught my ear, never spent any time with it. But I have had it for, I don't, I don't exactly know, several years, I'd probably say at least. So in a weird way, yeah, I'm familiar with the name of the band, the album cover, and vaguely what they sounded like. But uh, beyond that, that's it.
1: So... Although you ignored them, you've now had a chance to di- <laughs> to digest yeah you've had a chance to digest Lucy's fur coat mm. So is uh, is Lucy's fur coat a uh, uh, an original mink or is this a cheap knockoff that you uh, mm. send back to the store?
0: Oh that's a good way to put it. So I think you can definitely hear the San Diego thing in here right? I, I mm-hmm. got a lot of rock from the Crypt moments with mm-hmm. this band. Um, I also heard uh, some smithereens kind of thing going on um, in some of the stuff, which um, when you combine it with the Rocket from the Crypt element, kind of melts together pretty well. The problem is, is that's not terribly original. So at those times, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, there's some tracks on here, though. I took probably half the album. Actually, of the 12, I'd say there's probably six songs in here where they start to find their own sound and they're less focused on being sort of the the high energy, fun punk band that that Rock from the Crypt is. And they go into other areas that uh, Rocket from the Crypt would never go into. So they slow down or Mm -hmm. get play with some more, you know, play with acoustic guitars and textures and things. Um, I think actually it works really well. Um, I like the singer's voice quite a bit. It's interesting yeah. to hear that they found another singer. It's kind of a, geez, I don't know, Ian Asbury mixed with, <sighs> I don't know. Give me you another You know who he
1: reminded me of? He reminded me of, um, and I had to look up his name, but Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet. Reminded oh, yeah, me a yeah, lot yeah. of the guy from Monster Magnet. Yeah. And I'm a big Monster Magnet fan. For those of you that don't know, I have all their albums. And I listen to them a lot. They're they're described as being a stoner metal band, but they're a lot more experimental than I think a lot of what you traditionally think of as being a stoner metal band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think there's elements of some of that stoner rock mixed with punk, mixed with, like you said, I mean that Smithereens is a really good comparison in terms of like the guitar riffing that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, on a lot of these songs,
0: It was a simple, straightforward three chords. Yeah. It's
1: kind of sometimes like they a, work uh, well.
0: Yeah, yeah. The problem is, I think on some of those songs, they they're just not very well developed in terms of you know having a chorus to pay off. And you got if you're going to be that simple, you know, you got to give me a hook at some point. And, and, and some of those songs, they they don't do that, um, so it doesn't really come together as much. Um, I, I kind of like. Like track five easy, which is I don't think there's anything else on the album that's really like that, Mm-mm. which is kind of this really laid back acoustic, um, at least in the intro song, kind of a sing along kind of thing. Almost you could kind of see it as real simple, like easy to remember the lyrics and kind of sing along to um, not overthought kind of a, in a more of a, a relaxed kind of vibe to it. And I, I, I really like that kind of thing. And that's the guitar tone on it's really cool. It's like a mix of this dirty electric and uh, I think an acoustic together kind of recorded at the same time. It just sounds that and his voice come together and it sounds really unique and, and pretty cool. No, I, well, I wish there was more stuff like that on this album one of
1: the one of the cool um, recording tricks that I think that they're you mentioned it there I think that we learned or I don't know maybe you knew this but when we were in the studio is recording a guitar distorted but then also miking the actual strings. So that you're hearing the pick hit the strings sounding like an acoustic Mm -hmm. but at the same time you're getting that distortion through the amp so you're basically Mm -hmm. creating two guitar tracks out of one um and i think that's what's going on in parts of that song and it it's it adds a little bit of more depth than just throwing an acoustic guitar down with a guitar with an electric you know just doubling it or something it's it's just a little bit different of a take on a clean and an electric playing together, mm-hmm. and it's it's nice. Uh, I, the only issue I have with that song is just I think the intro is just too long. I would yep. I like it when it kicks in. I wish it would kick in a little bit faster, but it is nice that they're able to back down the energy on some songs and play around with dynamics a little bit more and tempo. Whereas, like you mentioned, like Rock from the Crypt, they don't tend to do that. They'll get in a mid-tempo area, but they're never slow. And I think they get away be- away with it because John Reese's vocals are always doing something interesting and they're always doing cool backing vocals, which this band actually does do on a couple songs. Track three, Super, mm-hmm. has that really cool chorus where the it's like the rest of the band is, is doing a gang chorus where they're yelling, hey, that's great, no, that's super. Mm-hmm. It almost reminded me of like a Local H song. Um, I could have totally seen that on like 120 minutes if there was a video or alternative nation like that song totally reminded me of one of those bands you'd see for like two weeks and then they'd be gone
0: That was a weird. That song's a it has a this verse that almost sounds like New York Dolls. The way he's like delivering the the vocal line.
1: Yeah, it's a little snotty.
0: Yeah, and then they get to the chorus, and it's. I guess I was comparing it more to a Nirvana kind of chorus, but I guess the local H would make sense too. It just sounded like two different songs kind of jammed together. And this is the point of the album where I'm like, ah, there's bits and parts here that I like. Mm-hmm. And there's that woo thing going on, right. which is like. It's not really the chorus. I don't know what it, it's like an intro and a bridge or something. Yeah. So it wasn't quite melding to me. It just sounded like three different parts kind of jammed together. And I'm, at that point in the album, I'm like, you know, where's this band going to go? Like, how <laughs> are they ever going to pull this together and start to sound original? So I, I, there's a lot of moments like that and a lot of songs like that where there's parts and pieces that I like, but, you know, there'll be a part after it that I really doesn't do anything for me.
1: One of the tracks that I, I wanted to highlight is uh, track 10, Not My Fault. Mm. I I liked that song because I think it added a nice change of pace. I think, uh, I don't remember. I'm going to have to go check and see. For the most part, their song length is at a pretty good clip. I mean, there's like two songs, two or three songs that are over five minutes. I think a band like this needs to stay under five minutes for the most part because they don't really do a lot of, there's not a lot of diversity in the riffing. From the guitars or from the what's going on dynamically. So sticking into like the three to four minute ranges ideal. But having like that one song that's like a minute and a half and it's just sort of high energy, draws a lot on their punk influences, I, I really liked throwing that in at the end because it felt like a breath of like a little breath of fresh air. And it kinda reminded me again of the Stoner Rock thing. It reminded me of the early like Fu Manchu, which isn't quite as polished as the later and and mid-years it's a little rougher it's a little raw it it gets a little punkier in some aspects Mm -hmm. um and i like that Thing I wanted to mention, which I don't know if you picked up on this, but track eight, there's an intro riff to that song. (laughs) Is that Kisses Unholy?
0: No, it's a War Machine.
1: War Machine. I guess.
0: Yeah, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but it's exactly the same riff. And the thing that sucks is that it it doesn't need to be there at all. Like it it plays no role in the song. It doesn't, it's not reprised. Try to build out of it and it doesn't really work and the rest of the song is actually one of my favorite songs on the record in terms of uh you know it's it's uh kind of has a sound gardeny kind of vibe to it but it's just a good rock song for mm-hmm. the most part after that um and it's pretty well written it's got a, one of the better choruses on the record too for me and uh it's just unfortunate that <laughs> that intro's on there I, maybe because i'm a kiss fan and i'm familiar with that song I, it, it's just really distracting for me But from a songwriting standpoint, it doesn't even serve a purpose. It's just, you know, it's like a minute or 40 seconds and it doesn't, it doesn't come back. It doesn't It I'm not quite sure why it's in there at all.
1: I don't know. I, I, I listened to the song and then I went back and I was like, did they ever reprise that part? And then they don't. They never no. bring that part back. And I was like, well, why the hell do you have a whole 40-second long intro mimicking Kiss if you're not going to use it somehow? Yeah. But
0: I, there, did you catch on any of the... Uh, I have a couple songs here I, I wrote down that I thought they sound a little bit like Paw. And even like uh, the mm-hmm. last song, 747, When by the time you get to the chorus, it has a real like uh, like Southern rock, Midwestern kind of, what do you call it, kind of shuffle feel to it almost, or just kind of a sense about it. Were you, yeah, were you picking ac- up on those kinds yeah, of things? Yeah, actually the
1: last two songs kind of reminded me of, this is going to be an obscure reference for most people, but if you live in Columbus, Ohio... You're going to know this reference, which is Bob City. Mm. Uh, Bob yeah. City had a shuffle feel to a lot of their stuff. They were mm-hmm. definitely like trading on the Leonard Skinner, but with like an ACDC feel. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I heard those songs. The, the guitar riff in Southern Cooking is very like Southern rock. Yeah. Bob City, that that sort of, you know, some of those other, not Skinner necessarily, because Skinner, I don't think, ever got that quite that heavy, but just. You know, that sort of feel. And 747 sort of continues. Those two songs back to back definitely have that sound.
0: works good with that sound it's just yeah those songs aren't incredibly well written but it, it just there's something there that uh, I kind of love to hear them pursue a little bit further and see where they can go with it
1: yeah. well it's the thing that is the double-edged sword is that he's a he's got a great tone to his voice it's it's ragged and it's raw but it can get energetic and it can get you know he, he can throw some wryness with his delivery. That can also cover up the fact that some of the lyrics are kind of bad. Mm. I think he throws in and in 747, the chorus ends with the line, Every dog has its day. It's just mm. like you can't think of a better <laughs> cliche to throw in there, every, other than Every dog has its day. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, we're always talking about guys needing personality in their vocal, not just delivering the lines, but having something projecting that in a certain way. Mm. And sometimes that covers up the fact that. You don't have a lot to say voc- or you know, lyrically.
0: And the sound of the band is very God, I'm trying to find the right word for this. I don't know. Masculine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? Between his voice and just the kind of braggedness of the guitars and I don't know, it just it it sounds like a dirty bar. You know what I mean? Like a place where guys hang out. <laughs> There's nothing <laughs> like I couldn't imagine women or girls liking this band, you know, or finding very much to like about this band. There's just I don't know. It just reeks of testosterone, but lyrically, it kind of doesn't go quite far enough in that direction.
1: It's not like anti-women band in terms of like Rush, which is just nerdy. This is just it's, more like testosteroney, like Clutch.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of in that ballpark, but you know, Clutch does some pretty interesting things lyrically that mm-hmm. this band. Plus, they have a, sort of a just a musicianship to them that this band doesn't quite have. But I, I think they could kind of. It would make more sense, I guess, if lyrically it it went somewhere. So, like, uh, you know, Clutch is almost like Rush-like and the way that their lyrics are just really unique and they tell stories and make lots of historical references. and You know, it's stuff that guys can kind of nerd out on. And uh, if this band did something interesting lyrically, either they kind of played off, I guess, the the sound of the band, it would start to make a lot more sense to me. It's pretty cookie-cutter.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and also in terms of structure, I don't think there's a single song that doesn't break the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a bridge, chorus, out. Like they are almost uniformly in, in in some way connected to that format. Whereas a band like Clutch would be way more pushing the envelope into different directions. Like Rush, but this is not the the pool that this band is swimming in. They're much closer to the Rocket from the Crypt. Keep it simple, three or four minute long songs. Mm -hmm. Um, And Paw is is actually a a band that I brought up in terms of who I thought if you if you dig in Paw that this would be a band that you would probably want to check out because Paw has elements of that midwestern, that southern rock. I don't think of it, but like a midwestern take. Or mm-hmm. plain, plain State take on uh, Alternative from the 90s. The one thing that did bother me throughout the entire album was the second guitar in terms of the leads and the solos. I just felt like there was a lot of weakness in that playing. Like, none of the solos really elevated the songs. And a lot of the leads were, like, the most simple, like, <laughs> let's play four notes over this guitar riff that Are in the scale, and let's not really do anything that's challenging or dissonant. Or, I don't know, did you pick up on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's a ton of opportunity there because, um, while I like his voice melodically, you know, it doesn't always um, lend itself to you know, delivering a great melody, and sometimes that can be enhanced or helped if there's a guitar, you know, really smart guitar intertwined in there to help counter and create melody where there otherwise isn't any. So there's tons of opportunity here to do cool stuff and there's not much. It's pretty pretty straightforward.
1: So in terms of your rating for this album, would you put it at a full album, an EP, or a single?
0: I got six songs marked that i like um so i got sanity same southern cooking which i actually think i like 747 better than that elementary easy and falling so you know the 12 songs here i like half of them so that's interesting
1: i I think we like the complete opposite ends of this album (laughs) because i had treasure hand super still i complain insanity not my fault yeah so, and we're both at an EP. We're just at completely different EPs for this album.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, I think I started off saying there's a little bit of identity issue here. They're not quite sure what kind of band they are, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, you're responding to, to the one half of the band, and I'm responding to the other. But the problem is, they need to be one band. <laughs>
1: I am curious cool to check out. I'm curious to check out the second album because I want to see where they went with the sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, did they take it in more of it? Did they get more punky did they get more of a southern rock sound did they get more or was it just as con, you know sort of conflicted from song to song as this one was so in terms of uh bands that you might suggest uh as relatively close or gateway drugs to uh, listening to this band was there anybody that stuck out other than we mentioned like paw and rocket from the crypt
0: a lot of bands written down here there's even moments where it's, it reminds me of everclear the call sound Soundgarden. there's some Soundgarden y riffs on here so i i don't think there's anything on here that's i couldn't i couldn't think of any newer bands to be honest and a lot of it is is very 90s oriented um in terms of their influences and to me who they sound like how about you
1: well for uh, like particular songs i heard things like track six sensor kind of had a glucifer ish sound to me Mm -hmm. but that was like the only song and there were times where his voice reminded me of like nash kato from urge overkill Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the entire song um a current band that and i haven't heard the newest stuff but from an ep or i think it was an album two years ago uh the company band they kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that the company band did, which is a little bit, again, more on like a not a stoner rock because I don't think of them as being stoner, but just no, it's
0: a, like a it's like a classic rock revival kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, I hadn't I hadn't thought about the vocal. I guess the vocal is in the same kind of ballpark as that.
1: And there there are elements, you know, in like Treasure Hands and Still I Complain. That musically, they get close to that what the company mm-hmm. band is doing. So, there you have it. That is Lucy's Fur Coat. We need to say thank you to Kyle Sunby for suggesting this particular album. And uh, I think it was a while ago, so I apologize that we took so long to get to it. But all in due course. We get to all of our albums in due course, even if that means 2018. We'll be wrapping up our listener suggestions. Uh, If you... Like what you heard on tonight's show, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes, just like our newest fan N896 did. Or the Mars Rover is the Mars Rover a fan of Mars Electric? I'm curious, is or Mars Volta, or Mars Volta, or Blue Sky on Mars by Matthew Sweet.
0: Anybody oh, knows the Twitter account.
1: Yeah, maybe we could check that Twitter account. Let ask ask the Mars Rover what their playlist is. We'd like to know. that would be it'd be good information for our podcast. We can make a '90s podcast for the Mar- the Mars Rover. Damn, why didn't we think about that, Jay? Total tie-in. Yeah. I'll be honest. I didn't know the Mars Rover was going to Mars until the day it happened. I, I was like, "What? Either. We shot something into space?" Yeah. I thought we stopped doing that. That we no, only did that to just, launch satellites for cable TV. We just
0: don't have the money to put men up there yeah.
1: anymore. That's true, yeah. You send robots controlled by monkeys. So good luck to that monkey driving that robot up there, and uh we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.